Grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Suppose at this moment of mourning in which we offer prayers and sacrifices for our Pope Emeritus, lately departed, we ask the Lord to give us the blessing of his peace, especially peace of heart. Grateful to God for the many blessings bestowed upon us through the life and ministry of Pope Benedict XVI. As a teenager and collegian, my father would uh, have us read articles from a journal called Communio, to which he subscribed. And I became familiar with the writings of then Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger. I read what I could and what I could understand at that early age. But when I was discerning my own vocation uh, to the priesthood, I left medical school and I went to the Casa Baltasar in Rome. And he was the cardinal protector of that particular house. Rome becomes beastly hot during the summer, so we would leave Rome and go up to Retz in Austria, not far from the Slovakian border, and go hiking. And the cardinal uh, came sometimes to uh, hike with us. And I remember there were two American priests, uh, Father Bill Hines, who was a, pr uh, a priest of the Diocese of Covington, and Father Joseph Fessio, who was a California province Jesuit, who had founded Ignatius Press. Father Fessio had done his uh, doctoral work under uh, Cardinal Ratzinger, and they were walking, and the path was very uh, kind of narrow. It had rained the day before. It looked very slippery. And the Cardinal turned and said, which way should I go? And Father Hines said, go to your right. Go to your right. It's safer. And Father Fessio yelled back, no, no, go to your left. Go to your left. It's more popular. And the Cardinal... The cardinal laughed, and he walked straight ahead. This is how Joseph Ratzinger, later Benedict XVI, was. He walked in the path of truth, in the light of truth. In our first reading from the Acts of the Apostles, Peter speaks, and through the popes we hear the voice of Peter. In truth, I see that God shows no partiality, in Greek, really what this means is God shows no respect for persons in the sense that he won't take a bribe. He shows no preference between rich and poor as such. He can't be bought. This is how Joseph Ratzinger lived. He was not concerned about human respect, but about the truth. His Episcopal motto was co-workers in the truth. When he came out on the balcony as Pope Benedict XVI, he spoke of himself as a simple, humble worker in the vineyard of the Lord. But for him, despite his great intellect, his many theological writings, his contemplation, the truth was not an abstract idea. The truth was the person of Jesus Christ. At the front of his life, his ministry, even his death, is always the figure of Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. Only in the name of Jesus is there salvation. And this is why Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI was so dedicated to his work, to his writings, to the publishing 
of the Catechism of the Catholic Church because he wanted to hand on the gift of truth for generations to come. But this gift of truth is actually the person of Jesus of Nazareth. He alone has the power to forgive sins. Pope Benedict wrote three volumes on Jesus of Nazareth, but it's nicely all summarized in our first reading. How he came, he began his ministry in Galilee after the baptism John preached, how he had been anointed with the Holy Spirit and power, how he went about doing good and healing those oppressed by the devil, and God was with him. It goes on to say that the same Jesus was put to death, he was hung on a tree, but he was raised from the dead, and it was granted that he become visible to all the people, not to all the people, but to us, the witnesses chosen by God in advance. This is the essential proclamation of our faith. Jesus came in the flesh, he suffered in the flesh, being hung on a tree, and died and he rose from the dead. And now he has commissioned us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. And with all his strength, whether with the pen or with word, or even in his suffering in silence, this is what Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI did. He testified, he bore witness that everyone who believes in him, the Christ, will receive forgiveness of sins through his name. If we are to do honor to Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI, then we too must bear witness to the truth, to the person of Jesus Christ, who offers the whole world forgiveness of sins and salvation. We too now are called to be co-workers in the truth. It is the truth that sets us free. And so this is the first thing, to be co-workers in the truth, to dedicate ourselves to this truth, and to not care what people think of us but to bear witness. I lived in Rome in 2005 during the agony and death of John Paul II. I remember how much we were at a loss. He had been a spiritual father to us for a generation. In Rome, you feel it in a particular way because you say, El nostro uh, uh, vescovo, a Papa Giovanni Paolo II. And then all of a sudden, when your bishop, who is also the Pope, dies, when you're praying, there's an absence. There is a void. And we all felt it, and we all wondered, how can we move forward? I remember then the papal funeral. Somehow or the other, someone had to be the adult in the room, and it was then Cardinal Ratzinger, who gave a beautiful homily, and as Dean of the College of Cardinals then, helped the Cardinals to gather themselves and to discern God's will. 
I remember, though, there were two Monsignors, Monsignor Bob Dealey, who is now the Bishop of Portland in Maine, and Monsignor Charles Guarino, who has gone to his rest. They did nothing for years but process all the sexual abuse cases from the United States, and they worked very closely with then-Cardinal Ratzinger, every Tuesday and Friday going to make presentations to him about this evil, and then the Cardinal Ratzinger would go to see John Paul II on Fridays. They would call it the Days of the Sorrowful Mysteries. And after, uh, after the Pope's funeral, Ratzinger, he had called his workers together and said, well, after the conclave, I'll stay on for a little while to help the Pope uh, have a transition. But I hope to go back to Germany and to write and to pray and to prepare myself for death. When Monsignor Dealey shared this uh, with us, I thought, well, I better go down to St. Peter's Basilica. He's preaching that mass before the conclave begins. This might be the last time I get to hear him. And there he spoke about how, as Christians, we have to be adults. We have to be mature. We can't be tossed about by the waves going one direction or the other. There he spoke of the dictatorship of relativism. At the end of which, St. Peter Basilica broke out in applause, and I began to think maybe, maybe he might be elected, but it was just a thought. But this idea of a dictatorship of relativism was important because it had to do with, is there an objective truth? And if we are all subject to the whims of this passing world and political, the whims of political power, then everyone, every one of us is vulnerable our freedom, and our very life. And here, though he was a meek and mild man, gentle like someone's grandfather, here we had someone who was willing to stand up for the truth and to defend the weak. And I thought, well, maybe, just maybe. So it was with much delight then when he appeared in St. Peter's balcony, in the balcony of St. Peter's Square, and there I was in the piazza, then I knew I will never really see him again or speak to him ever again. But I was happy because we had a pope and we had a father. And for three years, I lived there and then returned to the United States. But for him to defend the weak, to resist the dictatorship of relativism, was a task in response to the gift he had received from God. He wanted to promote the faith. He had spent most of his priesthood and his life as a bishop, as the defender of the faith, as prefect of the congregation for the doctrine of the faith. But again, for him, faith was not an abstract idea. Theologians speak of the fides que, which you would find, the content of our faith, which you would find in the catechism. But we also speak of the fides qua, the act of faith. In his letter opening the year of faith, Porta Fide, then Benedict XVI wrote with respect to the act of faith, faith is taking our stand with Christ so as to live with him. If we would do Pope Benedict XVI honor, it would be to take our stand with Christ so as to live with him no matter what the cost, even if we have to suffer. 
And he did suffer, not only from his enemies and detractors, but physically. He was already elderly, in my mind, when he became Pope. But somehow or the other, when he came out on that balcony, he seemed infused with energy, with the spirit. But it was sad on the 11th of February in 2013, when he resigned the papacy because of the lack of physical strength and for the good of the church. We heard in our second reading about how Christ will change our lowly body to conform with his glorified body by the power that enables him also to bring all things into subjection to himself. He suffered in the flesh and he offered his sufferings for the good of the church and he suffered in silence. Knowing that our citizenship is in heaven and from it we also await a savior the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ is always at the front of our minds. When Pope Benedict visited the United States in 2008, the theme of his pastoral visit was Christ our hope. And even in the midst of suffering and death, Christ gives us hope of immortality and life. The mighty God came down from heaven and was made a child so that we might go up to heaven. Taking on human nature, he renewed us from within, and we who were subject to death now had the bright promise of immortality before us. And it was to this that Joseph Ratzinger witnessed with his whole being, even in the flesh. And so we would do him honor, not only if we knew our faith, but if we lived our faith, if we took our stand with Christ in resistance still, to the dictatorship of relativism. It is not that we need to be culture warriors. He himself said we cannot keep saying no to everything. We are not the church of no. Rather, he would say that when the church says no to something, we are saying yes to something else. When we say no to abortion or attacks on, the, on human life, we are saying yes to the goodness of life. When he was installed as Pope, I remember being one of the priests giving communion, but I remember his homily there, and he spoke to the young people. He had already said, the church is alive, the church is young. But he said to young people, sometimes we are afraid that Christ somehow will take something from me, that he will take some away of my freedom, somehow I will be less. But he was firm in saying, Christ takes nothing from you, and he gives you everything. It was his faith in Jesus Christ that allowed him to humbly resign his office for the good of the church. It takes humility and courage that comes from confidence that in Christ's hands, everything will be okay. I met a man yesterday, he came to St. Joseph Cathedral for the first time in three years. He had, the last time he was here with his wife, but his wife had died. He can only confront his reality and the silence with the friendship that comes from Jesus Christ. 
Pope Benedict XVI would not want us to talk about him, but about Christ, who is our hope and who is our life. Nevertheless, he was called to the chair of St. Peter to shepherd the Church of Rome and the Universal Church. Feeble as he was, he said yes to God's call. And even after he resigned, he lived the Petrine ministry in a different way. In our gospel, we hear this marvelous story of Jesus meeting Simon Peter after the resurrection. Simon Peter had denied the Lord three times. Jesus asked him thrice, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? St. Augustine says, well, this is because of his threefold denial. Scripture scholars will say, well, Jesus asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me with an agopic love, with a self-giving love, with an oblative love? And Peter says, Lord, I love you with a filial love. I love you like a brother. I love you like a brother. Jesus asked, do you love me like a brother? I love you like a brother. Because that's what Simon could manage. God very often meets us where we are at, even in our suffering. But by Simon saying yes, he was dragged where he did not wish to go, and this is how he was to glorify God. I'm sure that Joseph Ratzinger would have preferred to return to his native Germany to write his books and to live out his life in prayer. God had something else in mind, and so he laid down his life for the good of the church. These 10 years, nearly, he has passed in silence and in prayer. We do not know where we would be or where the church would be without his prayers. But now, we also must move forward. His first encyclical letter, Deus Caritas Est, spoke about agapic love and erotic love and eros being, pure by, being purified by agape. Sometimes we think we can give ourselves, we give ourselves, we give ourselves. Yet in the eighth article of that encyclical letter, he said, man cannot live by oblative descending love alone. He must also receive. If we are to hand on the gift of faith and the gift of love, we must return to the original source, who is Jesus Christ. Once more, in retreating from public life, he was returning to the source of his life, of his love, who is Christ. We too should learn that lesson to find balance in our life, to find room for contemplation, like Mary, who held all these things in her heart. And yet in that same encyclical letter, in the very first paragraph, he said, being a Christian is not a result of an ethical choice or lofty idea. It is a result of an, encount an encounter with an event or a person who opens up new horizons and gives our life a decisive direction. For Joseph Ratzinger, Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI, he once said, there is no end, only an encounter. Now we gather in prayer to help him encounter the God who has revealed himself as love. We help him make the final pilgrimage to his heavenly homeland to meet 
his destiny. Christ was his life, and Christ is our life. And this Christ became a child. This Christ was God with us. The Word suffered in the flesh on the cross and revealed himself as the God who is for us. And yet the presence of the risen Lord in the human reality now continues to exist in his church. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead has been poured into our hearts, and he is our consoler and our advocate. But in the outpouring of the Spirit, we see the God who is in us and at work in us for the sanctification and salvation of the world. There is no end. There is only the encounter with Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world.